There's a lot of things you need to get across the universe. Warp drive, wormhole refractors. You know the thing you need the most of all? You need the Doctor Who podcast. Welcome to episode 363 Alpha of the Doctor Who podcast. This is our midweek, slightly more thoughtful take on this weekend's episode Wild Blue Yonder. James has tasked us with giving this sort of more considered and thoughtful take on the show, which I'm not entirely sure I'm up for. However, I'm luckily joined by our considered and thoughtful American, Drew. Hi, Drew. It always throws me when you say considered and thoughtful and then American. I'm not sure that's how everyone sees me or us, but that's fine. Welcome. Good morning. How's it going? So we've had a few days to cogitate and ruminate about this. So, Drew, what were your general impressions of this episode? Did you enjoy it? Not to play my hand too early, but uh, I think I enjoyed this episode even more than uh, Starbeast last week. Um, mainly as a episode as a whole. I really love some of the things that Starbeast did, um, kind of from a meta standpoint and from a nostalgic standpoint. But as an overall episode, I really liked uh, Wild Blue Yonder. I thought it was quite brilliant. Uh, and I have a lot of things to say to it about it. I have to say I agree. So after the slight disagreement at the weekend from from the other three, we're, we're going to go back into Starbeast territory and, and violently agree with one another. I thought it was great. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed it. And I love that we're we're showing up uh, creepy horror themed who because that's a big part of the show, uh, and I'm really glad that we've gone back there and realised so very well as well that this, the special effects for me were fantastic, both the practical effects and particularly the uh, when they did the outside shot of the spaceship, I thought the the, the CGI there that was one of the best realised CGI ships I've ever seen in Doctor Who and was right up there with with Hollywood movies in terms of the quality I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was doing some spaceship design work for a game that I'm working on fairly recently. And uh, as soon as they showed the outside of the ship, I'm like, I wish I had designed it like this. This is a really good ship. (laughs) It gave me modern Red Dwarf uh, kind of feels, you know, this big ship. But I also love the fact that as a as a ship, it's it's just about the length of it and not in a Star Wars. Let's see how far it can fly past the camera in the opening shot. Uh, kind of a feel, but uh, no, it was really cool. Uh, the The fact that most of the ship was a giant corridor added to the what you said, the creep factor of it. And and I, I think kind of back to your point with this, uh, it does feel in many ways that uh, Star Beast was sort of a, hi, are you new to Doctor Who? Or it's been a while? Or even Doctor Who is back kind of a feel. You know, it's a kind of the greatest hits, sort of a, a, a well-rounded. And this one is... This is another example of what Doctor Who can do, which is creepy um, in in many ways. It's kind of a a stalwart of the Doctor Who genre. So yeah, no, I really I really enjoyed it. I am actually wondering if that's a deliberate uh, style choice that they're making because they've got a whole new audience. This is this is as we know they're brand new onto Disney Plus. There's going to be people watching this who've never seen the show before. And, you know, are they putting out their market stall and saying, look, look at our wares, this is what we do. So we had a sort of a, a unit high action run around last week, which is very RTD. Uh, and this week we get a creepy, atmospheric, 
mystery type show which again is a, a really key part of what is Doctor Who and what makes Doctor Who the show it is so you know are, are they sort of doing the greatest hits to get people intrigued and brought into the show but it's also doing something that um that RTD doesn't normally do and I was kind of considering when they said RTD was coming back with three episodes I'm like oh great we're going to get a present family one we're going to get one in the far future and we're going to get one in the past because that's sort of what RTD did when it came back in 2005 and it sort of repeated that pattern um, for the most of the season so you know a, a future one a past one a present one um, and so that's already bucked that trend uh, in 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 a way so you know the end of the universe in this sense is, is end of the universe in space rather than time but yeah, I, I agree with you, and it's really nice that it, it is something that we mentioned last week on our more considered review. Is this is going to be a lot of people's introduction to Doctor Who these three episodes because Disney Plus is going to be able to reach audiences in a way that um, BBC America hasn't in the United States, and, and it, I know it's being broadcast certainly uh, in, in more countries than it has in a while. So these three, depending on what this third one is. Um, a lot of people 10 years down the road when they have podcasts or whatever the you know version of podcast is in 10 years are going to be referring to this uh, this doctor era as their introduction. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think it's important that they actually show the diversity of stories that are told in Doctor Who because for some people, the big action sequences and the laser blasts of last week will have caught their interest and made them say, I want to see more of this. For others, it's going to be this creepiness, you know, this behind-the-sofa element, which is such a key part of Doctor Who. And, you know, that's how so many of us were introduced to Doctor Who back in the 70s. I mean, I, I've said in the cast before, to my shame, that I was terrified of the, 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 the pirate parrot in the pirate planet, which was objectively silly, but stuck in my mind and terrified me. But I still came back and watched the show. And there will be kids behind their sofa today that were terrified by seeing the Doctor with his long arms and the spiky teeth and the way that they were running down the corridor after them. And that's going to stick in their mind. And great, that, that's, that's part of what Doctor Who is. And I think the, the thing with that is sometimes, yes, it's physically horrible, but it's also existentially horrible as well. So you mm. have these ideas that what is beyond our universe is nothing, and then the nothing looks back into you, and that not understanding shape, and not understanding size, and not understanding being. Essentially, it's a two-hander, and it's it's also a demonstration of what can happen when you have two astounding actors like David Tennant and Catherine Tate, um, who, let me tell you this, if I have to say only one thing about this episode it is that david Tennant is an amazing actor as far as face acting is concerned um there are there's a multitude of looks that he gives throughout this program both as uh, the doctor and the not thing doctor and um just lovely just a joy to look at i know i've I've watched it twice. I know that's something an advantage that we get over our other folks from the first immediate response but being able to watch a second time, especially with subtitles on, because the sound is just just atrocious, just atrocious um, in these episodes, you really get a chance to appreciate how much acting is going into this this role for this episode. Yes, and it was very much the characters playing off of each other that led you down the mystery and brought up the tension. You know, when all four of them run into the room and it's like, which two are real? Or where any time... I mean, basically, once you establish the premise, any time the Doctor and Donna meet up having been separated which of course they get separated all the time you're immediately what's going on who which one is this what's happening and that that constant sense of uncertainty was just a brilliant atmospheric and they played it so very very well from the initial reveal where donna's talking to the doctor uh, and then it just cuts to the doctor in the other room and you go oh 
and the penny drops as to what's going on. They, they really played that whole idea to the max. Now, you and I have had a lot of conversations about science fiction horror movies. Uh, you know that John Carpenter's The Thing is my favorite film. There's a lot of similar aspects to that of who is who is real and who is um, the monster uh, in, in those films. But the fact that we have to deal with questioning ourselves whether or not we are actually real or trying to get someone else to believe whether you are real or not, it's a classic sci-fi setup, and I think it did it really well. I think this is a this is a great script. This is a really really beautiful script because when when you're dealing with as little characters as we are, you have to care about them, and a lot of that weight has to be done uh, lifted by both the actors and the script. Uh, and I think this is interesting that RTD wrote this one because Midnight I think is is one of the best examples of of a good script in Doctor Who, and that's again single setting, but we have a lot of cast. I've heard a lot of people already compare this episode to Midnight, and they have every right to do so. There's There are some similarities to it. But when you're dealing with only two people on, on a screen, you have to create tension. RTD, it just constantly surprises me with their ability to do so. Yeah, yeah, and including right up until the end when the Doctor makes the wrong choice of Donna and we're all there going, what's going to happen? And, yeah, they, they played it to the max. So we've obviously both loved this. Yes. But, you know, we're fans. We're going to have some criticisms as well. So, so what things were you less enamored of? You know, it's funny. Um, I I generally look at movies as the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, so there's the things that I really like about it. There's the things in the script, you know, that are bad that I, I don't love, and then there's ugly things that maybe have some kind of meta narrative that I, I think are bad choices. And the only thing that I really didn't like about this one is th- there's a moment where um, the tenant not thing reveals itself and does a, does a weird backbend and kind of runs around. And I imagine that would be frightening to a kid. And certainly it's very important that we all remember that that the kids are a, a vast majority of who this this these shows are made for. Um, I thought that was a little bit silly. And the... I understand the shorthand for narrative of opening your mouth and showing teeth as being we're the bad guys. This is the horror moment. You know, we did this in the um, the 11th hour as well. I don't think those are necessary. But other than those, yeah, you know, just other than that, I don't really have anything bad to say. And I feel like a bad critic, but I have watched this and I almost have nothing but good things to say about it. And that's pretty rare for a Doctor Who script. But um, you probably wouldn't have brought it up unless you had something that you wanted to talk about. So what is something bad that you you saw that you weren't super happy about? There's a, there's a couple of small things, and they are relatively small things. I mean, not a distant, different place to you. There was a couple of points where we were getting a bit of exposition and the Doctor was making some intuitive leaps. That when the Doctor just saw the floating dead horse and just intuited everything that's going on and their whole history of that that captain. It felt that there was a little bit of a of an intuitive leap there. But honestly, the doctor's been doing that for sixty years, so I'm I'm I'm, I'm not I'm not going to go and die on a hill over that one. But you know, it, it it was something. It wasn't nearly as bad as pretty much any time the doctor made those intuitive leaps uh, during the Chibnall era. Mm, absolutely. Yes. Can actually, um, if, if, if not to beat a dead horse, but let's talk about that dead horse for a moment. Um, Ian, <laughs> do you think the um, appearance of that horse makes this a Christmas special? Okay, you're going to have to walk me down that. All right. So I'm not Welsh, but I do know what the Mary Lloyd is. Um, you know, the idea that strangers come to your house, there is a scary horse, 
uh, and if you let them in, there are consequences. So I, it's something that happens around Christmas time. It's a Welsh tradition, and it's a female horse. That's the important thing that I thought it's, it couldn't just be a coincidence that this is coming out so close uh, to Christmas. Um, and I, I just see, I feel like that's RTD being very cheeky um, in including that, knowing that this is coming out in December, and I believe the celebration starting about a week from now. So it's like almost on the point where this would have been showing up um, in Wales uh, as a celebration. So I was just like, is this a little little possible early Christmas present for us? So, but maybe I'm wrong. Also, um, if the horse alien. Um, had skin on its body it wouldn't have rotted in space but i understand the need for a skeleton in space is is a lot um uh better image than a giant kind of frozen bloated a uh, horse popsicle um and that's just the science teacher in me just kind of going eh. but other than that I, mean, I think that's an easy hand wave to make on, on that one speaking of hand waves it, it has taken us too long to say my arms are too long um I, that's got to be a new catchphrase. I think someone already probably mentioned that on the other <laughs> podcast. I would be foolish if they didn't. Um, but definitely along with Are You My Mummy uh, and Hey Who Turned Off the Lights, uh, My Arms Are Too Long is something that we as fans are going to be saying each other for years and years and years to come. I think it was a great line because it took a, cause they didn't show you the arms being too long. So you're like, what are you talking about? And then suddenly, whoop, there's an arm. No, no, I love that. In terms of other things that, 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 that tweaked me a bit, I'm going to talk about the, the Isaac Newton scene uh-huh. with, with the person of colour cast as Isaac Newton. Now, I'm not opposed to that, and I know there's a lot of vitriol online about this, which, frankly, I have no interest in. It did feel a little bit like there's another shoe to drop there to me, and that, I felt, was a bit odd. Is this a in-universe change? Is this just an acting change? But there was no explanation either in the show or indeed in Unleashed. And I was kind of expecting maybe RTD to say something in Unleashed to address this, the same as he did around Rose and the same as he did around Davros, to say, hey, this is what we're doing and you know, this is why we're doing it. And there wasn't any of that either. So it's just, you know, a, a, a choice has been made and I don't quite understand why the choice has been made. And it's not that I'm opposed to it. It's just wondering, you know, where, where, what is this supposed to be? Or is indeed the point just, hey, who cares? I don't know. Do you see what I mean? I think that um, all things could possibly be true and false at the same time, um, just like human beings and their self-worth um, when you're trying <laughs> to trick a mind-reading, shape-shifting alien. I don't know if Isaac Newton created the word gravity, um, or mavity in this case. But the important thing is, mavity is used throughout the story as something that Donna takes for granted, because that is apparently how time has changed for her. We don't get to see that very often in Doctor Who, that time can be rewritten in something small like that. Um, and if they you know, go on Doctor Who for the rest of eternity and, and just say mavity. But the important sticking point is, at one point in time, the Doctor says gravity. She says, huh? And then he goes, sorry, mavity. The doctor is aware that the change has been made. Now, if that's just a joke, you don't repeat it that many times, and you certainly don't make the doctor aware that it's a joke, because that's confusing. So to your point, I don't know about the ethnicity of Isaac Newton as being a sticking point, but the fact that gravity has uh, is mavity and then is also not at the same time, that feels like it's intentional. So... I'm just going to go with the evidence that we had in that it's probably something weird. But if this episode has taught us anything, and especially some of James's comments from, from the episode, 
you can't have too high expectations because if they're not being met, you will be disappointed. And so I'm just going to see what happens in the next episode and decide then. Yeah, and I, there's, there's, I just had the feeling of another shoe to drop. But um, sure. the, the, and the other thing, just I didn't think the, the other people picked up in the first review was there was just one line towards the end where the doctor talks about invoking a superstition this close to the edge of the universe. And I think that is, that's the toy maker in. That's the, we're, we're, we're inviting non-scientific things in. Now, whether that links in with, I, I say, I've got to think that there's something more to that Isaac Newton scene because it just seemed a bit random otherwise, the whole scene. Um, maybe the two together add up to something that we'll find out next week. Yes. And I, uh, one, I'd like to say that um, I invoked a superstition on the edge of the universe is a beautiful poetic line. Um, it's one of many lines that if you just take it by itself, it kind of looks like it could fit on a tele- uh, T-shirt. Um, and that's good. You want you want stuff like that as long as it's not too much. It's not like you're just doing catchphrase left and right. But Ian, let me throw this at you. Is this something that invokes the toy maker? Yes. Is the toy maker the boss that Beep the Meep was referring to uh, in the in Star Beast? Possibly. Now, if the Doctor is talking about invoking a superstition that might let the toy maker into this universe in the second episode, you know, if we're thinking about it chronologically, does that mean that this technically story is set in the past from the Star Beast? Does does that did you see what I'm saying with that one? Because it sounds like Beep is referring to the boss as if the boss is the toy maker and that's what's been setting up all along. But if the events in this one are uh, what free the toy maker, that's also potential. But again, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into it. I'm getting too many expectations. So I'm just going to have to wait until next week. The only other thing that I would mention, and you've already mentioned this, is that there's been a very definite change in the sound in all the episodes we've seen so far where... The dialogue is lower in the mix and the music is higher in the mix, which I know has given you some issues. Uh, I've seen other people it's given some issues to. I was struggling at times during this episode. And I remember when the show first came back in Christopher Eccleston's season, it was a common complaint then. And in fact, I rewatched that season recently and it's still a problem even on the, the iPlayer versions now. There's obviously somebody in RTD's editing team that this is their their chosen way of editing. And I don't understand why they're still doing it because it just upsets people because they can't hear the dialogue. Yeah, like I said, I had to watch this a second time with subtitles on to understand. I mean, I I watch a lot of TV. I watch a lot of science fiction. I understood what was happening. I just didn't hear the dialogue. And that's a shame because um, RTD writes great dialogue. And uh, this shouldn't be. I thought it was something that I was doing wrong, but it's the only television show on my TV that that comes out this way. So you're absolutely right. It's something in the mix. It's a bummer. I'm sure if I had a really lovely setup and I, you know, uh, it, it would be just fine. But it had me questioning whether this was a UK thing or not. So I'm glad that, that I'm not alone in my frustration. There are technical ways, you know, if you have a full 5.1 surround system and you boost the center speaker, and of course in the editing suites they do, you know, but you shouldn't have to be playing around with that. I mean, maybe they just love Murray Gold's music so much they want everyone to hear it. But um, again, I remember having exactly the same problem with the early seasons of the revived show. And it's a strange choice to me for, for them to start doing that again now. Also, and I just have to draw one more attention to this, 
uh, it's such an odd thing to do. And this is something that I didn't catch because of the sound. But with its subtitles on, Donna makes a reference to the it, the room gets cold because the creatures are turning heat into mass. It would have to freeze them in order to get the amount of mass that they have. But as an example of this, she references, of all things, the Venom movies. Which is very interesting because, you know, in the United States, I am watching this show on Disney+. Plus. Disney Plus owns Marvel, yes, but the Venom movies are a Sony product. Um, seems odd and slightly backhanded, but what are you going to do? Have you seen the Venom movies? I have, yes, and they're a lot of fun. And I, I suppose I can see some of the similarities you might even see there. There you go. So we've had a little bit of feedback from some of our listeners. So Noah has written in. Well, 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 Dr. Spindy Legs is back again. In my opinion, this isn't as good as the Star Beast, although it still has its own unique qualities. I think that the danger in this story is really the spaceship bomb, not the nothings, or whatever you call them. And the mystery is really interesting and makes you hang on the edge of your seat half the time. Yeah, and I think the fact that um, we get that the monsters are attempting to scare you to speed up your process to allow them to absorb you faster is quite brilliant. And I think the mystery of why everything is going slow is particularly effective. And the slow countdown uh, in a language the doctor doesn't understand also really works for me. So, you know, the fact that the countdown is happening throughout the entirety of the narrative works because every time you feel like you're stepping away from what that mystery is, it countdowns just one more time and that brings it back into focus until it starts speeding up. So we actually get a slow narrative that speeds up towards the end to coincide with the timing of the countdown. It's excellent script writing, people. I'm never going to tell you that you, you shouldn't enjoy something because you only you can decide whether you are enjoying something or not. But I think Every aspect of a good story is present in this story. And uh, going to our Facebook discussion group, uh, Daniel feels now, Daniel's actually taken your linking connections and really run with it in, in his review there. So he absolutely loved it. Um, and he makes a great point here. It's a classic Doctor Who trope, the ultimate run down a corridor. The entire show was just one massive great big running up and down a corridor. Great. This was a lovely smorgasbord hodgepodge of elements of all of these other episodes thrown into a blender to make a delightfully thrilling smoothly. And here's where he lists out all the episodes he's linked to. So Girl in the Fireplace, you fall into hidden passageways. The Doctor's Mm -hmm. Wife, Amy and Rory doubles messing with them. Sleep No More, Mystery Ship with No One. World Enough and Time, space-eccentric mystery. The God Complex, Your Greatest Fears. Time Heist, Having False Memories. Nightmare in Silver, Matt Smith versus Matt Smith. The Rebel Flesh, Misshapen Doppelgangers. The Eleventh Hour with the Teeth. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade with the Fireplace. And The Impossible for the Countdown. So there's some links for you. I've got two more. <laughs> um, I mean, reference the power of the Doctor clearly with the the thing. And I've, I've said that. That'd be wrong. Edge of Destruction with a, uh, a small... Cl- smaller cast um, where something is going wrong and it's causing people to act in different ways. Um, And then I think we'd be remiss if we didn't say Midnight, um, where Mm. the creature is slowly absorbing and gaining consciousness through interaction, especially talking. Um, But yeah, fantastic. I mean, what I love about this is, you know, it really demonstrates that RTD and and for the fact Chibnall and uh, Moffat are fans of the original show, and they are going to be inspired by what came before, and that's perfectly fine as long as it's not a you know 
I, I don't think anyone is saying they've ripped off those stories. It's certainly homages to many of them. Also, um, big CGI background in a spaceship at the end of the universe. Um, what's the Greek-inspired one? Uh, underworld. Maybe a little underworld there. Maybe unintentional underworld. So uh, there you go. Actually, I got Event Horizon vibes for quite a bit of this as well with the oh, ship at the edge oh. of the universe and the edge of the universe looking back at you. No, I also got Event Horizon, but I was only going to reference Doctor Who stories. Uh, but you're right. <laughs> since I was going to mention the thing, uh, then certainly Event Horizon plays perfectly with that one. Oh, I have to go back and watch Event Horizon. That's a good one. So thank you to Daniel and Noah for uh, sending those in to us. If you want to have your views on the podcast, please do come and join us. We can go on X. We've got our Facebook discussion group, which is growing every week, and it's great to see the conversation starting off there. And you can, can email us as well. So I think that's uh, our... our I, th- I think I think we delivered there. I think that was more thoughtful and considered. I think we've we've lived up to the billing. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I, um, you know, like I'm looking at my list. There's more things to be discussed, but that's perfectly fine. I, I you know, there's you also have to pay sure that there's a certain level of brevity in these as well. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm really glad that you gave me the opportunity to to share my thoughts, uh, even if I couldn't make it for the the uh, just after review. Well, I know that but neither of us can make the hot take uh, cast this Saturday, so quite possibly we'll be being thoughtful and cogitating again this time next week. So, with all that to look forward to, thank you listeners for tuning in yet again, and we will speak to you again soon. This podcast will be over in Blintz. Sensel. One. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, with your hosts, Drew and Ian. You can find us at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Thank you for listening, and take care. (laughs) 